Drinking, a podcast about drinks, trivia, and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim, and I'm joined in the virtual pub by my drinking buddy, Illyri. What are you drinking and thinking about today? Hello. I'm drinking a Welsh gin uh, from a distillery called Abba Falls, and it's an orange marmalade gin with a slimline tonic. And I'm thinking about bees. So much to pick up on there. Um, I definitely want to talk about <laughs> bees. Can I also talk about mead? Of course you can. I love mead. Because bees bees make mead. I think I feel like this is gonna be a versus podcast. Like you yeah. want to talk about bees, I want to talk about mead. Let's see how far we get with that. Cool. <laughs> Go. <laughs> I because I am actually drinking mead. Ah. Um, I'm drinking Gosnell's uh citrus sea. Um, I can read you their tasting notes, not mine, because that's not how we do it, but um, it's it's hopped, it's got lemon, it's got a bit of salt. Um, so that happens the citrusy, hops and salt mead. It's a local um, meadery, they're based in Peckham. And I've also got another place that does, well, they call it honey beer, and we'll probably get onto that, I guess. Um, honey beer, Haifa, just at the end of the street. And... Not only that, but they use honey for, well, they, they all use honey from like independent um, hivers, independent bee, I was gonna say bee growers, bee harvesters, honey harvesters, hivers. Um, <laughs> but they've got one in Kennington Park, which isn't too far away. And I went there on a visit to meet the bees and I helped build one of the hives. On the way. Yes, I had, I got, oh. I got wood. And nails and a hammer, and I put together the little frame that they, uh, you know, uh, that goes into the to the hives, and you pull it out, and it's full of honey. And um, talk to them about like how they take care of the bees, and you know when they feed them, how they have to look out for diseases, and monitor the queen, and all this sort of stuff. And it was wonderful because it is, you know, it's right in the middle of London, and people can book a little tour to go in and find out how it all works. And there's a pub just across from the park that has their own version of Hiver beer made from that honey. So it's <laughs> super local, turned into um, a honey beer there. But you know, like I live in a area that has a lot of bees. We have the Bermondsey yeah. bees just off Bermondsey Street as well. Um, mm-hmm. And they do a lot of guidance on how to do urban beekeeping because it's important that you can't just, you know, get a hive. You yeah. have to make sure that the whole ecosystem is going to work in tandem and it's not putting other insects out and you've planted enough Absolutely. flowers. You know, they're saying things like people are getting really interested in beekeeping, especially in cities. You can't just get a hive. You have to first, yeah. you know, check out the local ecology and invest in that first. So it's much better to get um, flowers that bees like than going to a hive if you want to support local bees at the moment. But London mm-hmm. has a higher density of hives than any other city in Europe. We oh, have well done, so many, and I see a lot around here. And we have every year we have the Bermondsey Street Festival. And mm-hmm. last year when I went, the bees were out in force. I gotta tell you, just mm-hmm. in front of Bermondsey Bees, 
they were selling whiskey and honey cocktails. And I thought, well, that looks delicious. And I went up to the stall and the entire building was full of bees. Oh, awesome. I but no that. one was panicking. It was beautiful. Yeah. Everyone was like, well, yeah, they live here. You know, mm-hmm. like they're part of our residence too. I've never seen more bees in a concentration of a crowd of people where they weren't freaking out and they were just really chill about it. It was great. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's, that's, my, that's my local bees and that's what I'm drinking. Love it. Um, you've got some experience with bees, I believe, as well. Yes. Um, so as part of my job, I lead up all the sustainability projects for my company. And one of our projects is the bee project. Um, so we've got two beehives on site. And between them, they house 50,000 bees or over 50,000 bees by now. It's a lot of bees. Um, and basically, we're working with a Belgian company called Biodiversity, where we have to take samples from our bees and send them off to this company who will look into it all, look at the kind of pollen, whether there's any disease and whatnot. And they can then send us a report. And it basically teaches us about the biodiversity of our area. And if there's any way we can improve it for not just the bees, other pollinators. Um, So basically, we've been planting a lot of wildflower um, recently because one of the things they pointed out was there was not enough variety of flora for pollinators Mm. where we are. Um, Because we're in the middle of the Brecon Beacons, it's quite um, barren kind of mountains, but not a heck of a lot of flower there, wildflower. There's a lot of like lavender and gorse and stuff like that but nothing too exciting for the bees and pollinators so we've been like rotating fields and planting wildflowers and stuff for bees thankfully we haven't learned any other challenging things one of the ones i was worried about was if they were to tell us something like um there's some really nasty pesticides in the samples that you sent over Mm. which would have meant we would have had to kind of go and talk to local farmers and whatnot to try and work out what they're using on their land and whether or not we could try and get them to use something else. But thankfully, nothing like that. But no, we've got a, an in-house beekeeper who's Bill. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> Bill He's the beekeeper. So it had to be a little didn't it? Bill the beekeeper. He looks after the queen, the bees. Um, but yeah, we had a bit of stress with them this time last year where the queen bee died. Um mm. When we went up to look at the bees one time, they were all swarming and they were all really stressed out. And yeah, the queen had died. So we had to very quickly try and replace the queen. Um, otherwise, the bees would swarm and leave and find somewhere else um, without a queen they wouldn't stay. So we spent loads of money. I didn't realise how expensive queen bees are. They are like hundreds yeah. of pounds. Yeah. So we had to find somebody that could sell us a queen bee and spent like a good couple of hundred quid on a queen and they rejected her. <sighs> like like Drag Race, sashay away. Sashay away, but they do it, right. it's way more harsh than, than Drag Race. Do you know how they reject the queen? I know, I mean, I presume she just had to go away for a couple of years and then come back for All Stars. No, it's really dark. So like in the hive, they have to keep the hive at like a certain temperature. It's about 33 degrees. Um, otherwise it just gets too hot and they die. And uh, so what they do is they all kind of like swarm around the queen and buzz their bodies to raise her temperature and basically fry her. Oh. 
it's really dark. It's a harsh <laughs> ending, isn't it? I have I have actually seen them do that in documentaries to invading creatures as well, like not just their queen, like you know, yeah. um, parasitic wasps and stuff. They will mm-hmm. they will surround them and do that. You can actually feel the heat coming off a hive. If you're mm-hmm. right next to it, and if it's not, you know, a particularly hot day, and you put your hand above it, you can feel the heat coming out of it. It's quite intense yeah. and magic. Well, they have to keep it. Um, they gather water and they 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 spread it on the interior to keep it below thirty-three. So, as well as pollen and flowers, they need water as well. Yes, that's interesting. Actually, I was um, I was in Greenwich Park last summer, really hot. Mm-hmm. You know, we had we had quite a, a long hot summer, and I was having a picnic with some friends and a bumblebee. Uh, just came and landed on my arm and it was it was you know not moving very much it did not seem well to me I mean first of all my friends are freaking out they're like it's gonna sting you it's gonna sting you I'm like it's not gonna sting me I can explain many reasons why it's not gonna sting me but it's really not and then I was like no it needs it needs a bit of reviving and then someone was like oh should we give it some sugar water I was like it probably just needs water it's really hot we're in the middle of a park with no lake or anything like that Mm-hmm. Like I think it probably just needs water. So I put some water into a little bottle cap and tried that, but it, it didn't even want to like it. So I just poured some water on my arm and it had a little a little lick of that. Um, and I, I kept it there for probably about an hour because Aww. we um, we just carried on with the picnic. And then as we were walking out the park, I took it with me. I actually put it on my shoulder. Um, <laughs> I, just, I fell in love with this bee. Uh, I put it on my shoulder. We were walking out the park, and then I I took it off and I put it in some flowers that were near the entrance by a flower bed. And straight away, went into it and started um, sucking at the nectar. And I was oh. like, oh, thank goodness. But yes. yes, most of the time they do actually just need water, especially if they're being kind of uh, lethargic in the summer. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that honeybees are wasps because I think yeah, a lot of people expect a honeybee to be like your cartoon bumblebee, but it's not. Honeybees mm. kind of look more like wasps than bumblebees, yes. so they get freaked out by that. I do. Just be mm. kind to them. All right. Bees, bees, bees. Time for some mead again, I think. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm ready. So I didn't actually outline what mead is. I'm, I mean, I'm guessing everyone by now has realised that it's honey. <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> it is an alcoholic beverage created by fermenting honey, um, usually with water, sometimes with fruits and spices, grains, hops, it varies. And the alcoholic content uh, ranges a lot as well, through, from three and a half to more than 20%. Um, but the defining characteristic is that the fermentable sugar has come from honey. It could be still, it can be carbonated, um, dry, sweet, all of it. Um, mead and honey wine are often used synonymously. This is why it's kind of hard to define in a way. Mm-hmm. So some cultures will say honey wine uh, um, is just fermented honey and mead, for example, is made with uh, beer yeast, with balm. Um, yeah. And so that's how they will differentiate it. But honestly, I have found through all the cultures I've looked at, it's used interchangeably. And, and I'll sort of get onto that, I suppose, as well, that it is so, um, I mean, it's everywhere. It, you know, everyone, <laughs> every culture in the world is making mead or honey wine or some kind of alcoholic beverage from honey. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's the only definition you can have. <laughs> it's got honey in it and it's boozy. <laughs> oh, I, I really want some now. 
I've only ever had it once, and that was with you, and I found it delicious. Yeah, because it's everywhere around here, isn't it? It's all it is. Every- yeah. All right, hit me up with a B fact then. That was my that was my introductory uh, meat fact, okay. I suppose. I've got so many B facts. I am a bit obsessed with bees. I think they're amazing. Brilliant. I know they're you know busy bees. They're known for being hard workers, but they do work so hard. It's crazy. Um, so for one load of pollen, a bee will visit over one thousand five hundred flowers. It's crazy. And in order to make a pound of honey, they have to visit two million flowers, and that would cover roughly fifty-five thousand miles flown. It's just madness. Can you imagine <laughs> working that hard for anything in your life? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't mean people in general. I meant you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Oh, I love it. But yeah, okay. 1,500 flowers for one load of pollen, 2 million why, flowers for one pound of honey. That's this is why, just... if you can, everyone should plant bee-friendly flowers. And you can yes. look up quite easily what they are as well. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing that I, I do at work. I often, because um, obviously we had to buy wildflower seeds in bulk because we were going to plant so many. So I took a good chunk of them and I put them in little packets. And every time I'm at like any kind of event or networking, constantly handing out wildflowers, telling people to plant them. (laughs) That's lovely. Hmm. Do you want want another meat fact? Yes, please. Okay. So we're going into the realms of mythology uh, already. You know, I like my my ancient history mythology. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a Norse... Uh, god of sorts, Kvasir. Mm-hmm. So this guy was born from the saliva of the Aesir and the Vanir. Now, if you don't know your Norse mythology, they're mm-hmm. basically the two groups of gods. They kind of like they sort of get on, they sort of argue. It's the source of a lot of the stories from Norse mythology, the Aesir and the Vanir. So Kvasir is born from the saliva of both of them. And he was known for being extremely wise. He traveled far and wide and he would um, teach people and spread knowledge. Um, Of course, what happens to wise people? They get killed by dwarves. So um, (laughs) they killed him and drained his blood and uh, they mixed it with honey and created what they called the mead of poetry. And so if you were to drink the mead of poetry, it would imbue the drinker with wisdom and um, uh, scholarship, as they would call it. But you would essentially become like a wise poet. I mean, tempting, but I think I'd pass. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be a travelling wise poet? I do, but I don't want to drink blood. Ah, uh, yeah, I forgot about that bit already. And I just <laughs> told you. Um, I, think it's, I think it's an interesting story there's a lot of um because he's like this well okay first of all because it comes from saliva so like there's this constant thing of um you know talking and drinking and all this business but also that he comes from both sides of the gods and he's kind of like got this outsider traveling wisdom from drinking and talking and i think sometimes with these legends of what gods gave to mankind you kind of have to work backwards and think Mm -hmm. 
what did a culture see in the person who behaved that way that would lead to the creation of that story? So you would see like all these people who were seemingly wise and poetic and they were probably your local piss heads. <laughs> and they're like, now why would that be? God, I was born at the wrong time, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, Cavassio from Norse mythology. <laughs> Give me some more bees. Bees. Let's talk about the queens. Queens. Queen. <laughs> um, so a queen bee can lay up to 2,500 eggs a day. Uh, and that equates to twice her body weight within 24 hours. Oh. Yeah. I mean... Everyone seems to think that queen bees have got it easy. They just sit there all day having a great time while all the other bees work. Absolutely fuck pushing that twice your body weight in 24 hours. I mean, I've had some pretty big vegan poos in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I've ever reached twice my body weight. No. Even in 24 hours? Well. <laughs> <laughs> there was that one time I got really obsessed with kidney beans, but I'm still going to say no. <laughs> God, I wish, I wish I had not asked. As as a woman, how do you feel about me equating those two things? <laughs> um, as a childless woman, I'm okay with it. Okay, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> oh, that's a lot of eggs. Um, do you want some more mead? Yep, please. Anything but kidney bean shits. <laughs> no, sorry, this is a dark road there. All right, so as I sort of said. Uh, it's it's really pervasive. It's everywhere. It's old. So the the oldest example of uh, like evidence of honey fermentation in mead I found is seven thousand BCE in China, northern China, um, where they found kind of the uh, chemical residues of it along with rice. And then in Europe, it's uh, about two thousand eight hundred BCE. And you mm -hmm. find that in ceramics as well. The earliest written version I can find of it is in sacred Vedic books, or you know what later became Hinduism mm -hmm. in the Rig Veda. They mention that, and that's around 1700 uh, BCE. So, in a nutshell, it's really old, and also it's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought you might find this interesting. This is, you know, by comparison, modern, um, but it's mm. from the Hispanic Roman naturalist who is called Columella, and he gives a recipe for how to make mead. And this in uh, a Dere Rustica, which is um, first century, so 60 mm -hmm. CE, about the time mm -hmm. that the Romans are getting involved with invading Britain. Anyway, he says, um, take rainwater kept for several years, I mean, that's already, a, that's already an interesting start, isn't it? <laughs> Try to take rainwater kept for several years and mix a sextarius of this water with a pound of honey. Do you know, um, do you know how much a sextarius is? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, guessing I'm... it's got a six in it. <laughs> well, I'm shocked. Um, well, it's... It's a sixth of a congius, obviously. Oh, of course. Which is about 550 mils. Oh, way less than it sounds. Yeah, five, five four, six mils. 
Yeah. What it, what it actually is. All right. So, so basically, five, 550 mils of water. I mean, this is a legit recipe now. 550 mils of water, pound of honey. We're still talking about years old rainwater. It's not legit. <laughs> well, there's an alternative in there. It says, for a weaker mead, mix a sixth areas of water with only nine ounces of honey. The hold is exposed to the sun for 40 days and then left on a shelf near the fire. If you have no rainwater, then boil spring water. Oh, okay. I mean, I think what's interesting is kind of, you know, he's like, I understand what needs to happen for fermentation. You know, leave it in sunlight, leave it to stew. At least he's saying boil the spring water, not just, you know, use your own wee. Yeah, pan water. (laughs) Yeah, pan water, exactly. Shall we, should we try it? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just buy some meat. Literally, Gosnells is in Packer. I don't need to be leading anything in the sun for 40 yeah. days. I've been there before. I, I spent six ninety nine on a Prosecco kit. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, have you got any more B-facts? I have. Um, so did you know that bees need to communicate with each other to let the, the hive know how to find food sources? Uh, they've got like a special dance that they do. The bee dance, the waggle dance, as it's known, mm-hmm. and it's so clever. Um, so, say a bee has found a really good um, pollen source, he'll fly back, or she will fly back to the hive, and um, will start a dance to tell the bees where said pollen is. So, it'll start by doing a circular motion and wiggling its body to let people know, hey, I've got something to say. So once they've got the attention, they'll start intersecting the circle according to the direction of the pollens, like a compass. They'll start to intersect. So say it's east, they'll intersect around three o'clock. Then they'll waggle their body in a certain way and move in a certain um, amount just to let the bees know roughly how far it is as well. And so they'll do that several times, let everyone know, and then off they all trot to get the taste of pollen. It's so I, cute. I do love this fact. I, I actually did know this one, and um, I, I know that because of a drink. Because there's mm. a there's a beer called Waggle Dance. Ah. Which is, uh, I think it's nail actually, it, it, but it it tastes honeyish. And I remember mm-hmm. reading Waggle Dance and thinking that's a cool name. I wonder why it's called Waggle Dance. Where that comes from? And I looked it up because because of a boozy beer. Yeah. Um, but. I, lo- I just I love the idea that they use dance for that level of communication. I feel like we as humans should do that more. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly in reference to finding food. <laughs> like imagine like you're out of the club, you're throwing shapes, everyone's trying to be sexy, and you know, like club dancing is all look at my groin, look at my groin. But instead, like you look across the room, you've had enough of all the groins, and someone's going. Let's get a kebab. Let's get a kebab. Like that yeah. is the bee I want to dance with. Hips resting. There's a pretzel outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I just think we should dance more. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna um, express myself with dance for the next couple of days. Please. See what my husband does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna tell him why. I'm just no. gonna dance more. Just, just like subtly monitor it. See what happens. See if he understands you. If you starve to death, 
why, why are you running around the kitchen in a circle? <laughs> <laughs> I'm referencing eyes. Uh, more mead. So we have different varieties. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, there are so many varieties, but uh, sort of, what am I trying to think of? Groups, groups of varieties. So methaglin. Methaglin Mm -hmm. is um, when you add spices. I'm saying it cautiously because I might have got it the wrong way around. No, it is. That's right. It's spices. (laughs) When you add like clove, cinnamon, nutmeg, or herbs. Oh my God, that sounds... Lavender. Some of my favourite flavours there. I love cloves. Methaglin comes from the Welsh. Maybe that's why I like it so much. Probably. Um, It's, I mean, it's a different spelling, but I believe it's pronounced the same. Instead of T-H, it's a double D. Uh, that's a Z. Yeah. Methaglin. So you make, you put your tongue on the back of your teeth a bit more. Z. Methaglin. Methaglin, yeah. Methaglin. Got mm-hmm. it. So I actually found a lot of words around mead and honey wine and stuff are Welsh or Pictish. So like first century Scotland as well. So it's like very much in our ancient history. Mm-hmm. Um, so methaglim, spices. Um, we've also got uh, melamel, which is when you add fruit, raspberry, blackberry, mm-hmm. strawberry, etc. And they would do that as well as a form of preservation. So if you want to keep your summer produce into the winter, drop it in some mead. So um, are these... Um, are you able to get your hands on these or are these more of a kind of because traditionally now I just think of mead as a straight up honey wine it's hot I'd love to to get some of the spicy slash fruity variations I think you could make it yourself you know like I I there's more of a variety if you go to um uh, like particularly cent- Central and Eastern Europe, Slavic, they seem to be really into their meads and they have more of a variety of stuff. But this was certainly a tradition here that can be brought back. Um, and I think infusing things like spices and fruits is pretty easy. Like you just buy a nice mead and then drop stuff in it. That's mm. essentially what they did anyway. I reckon uh, there must be some kind of old school people in like North Wales that are still doing medicine. I'm going to try and find some. Hunt them down. And then yeah. steal their things. No, I'll pay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's um, you get mold mead as well at Christmas. I've definitely seen a resurgence of that in in my local area, um, with you know Christmassy spices and sometimes fruits. But what's really interesting about this one is traditionally you would heat up the mold mead by plunging a hot poker into it. Yes, which I just think is so much cooler than <laughs> one of those you know one of those like plastic black tubs that all bars have when they do more yeah. like Christmas, which I think it's like a really sad sad yeah I don't like imagine it. if you if you rock up at um rock over the pub or the market or something you're like oh i'd like a mold meat plate and then like sure let me just get this hot poker out of the furnace plunge that's badass yeah i want that Let's do that. Yes. <laughs> Let's make mead and get hot pokers. If you're worried about the legitimacy of you dropping a few spices into mead, I dread to think what's going to happen when you've got a red hot poker. I, I, I genuinely feel like I'd fuck up the mead more than I would the poker. 
<laughs> I'm more worried about your flesh, but sure. <laughs> that's that's the first and last time I will ever say that. <laughs> <laughs> Having any thoughts for your flesh. <laughs> All right, have you got any more facts? I have one more. All right, go. I saved the best to last. Mm -hmm. The testicles of a male honeybee explode on achieving orgasm, after which it dies. Oh, honey, me too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, in any way, can you expand on that? Uh, no, I think I, <laughs> I, I found that during some research for work and realised that that was a fact I was never really able to share with work, <laughs> but I wanted to use it at some point. And now's um, the time. If, you know, I suppose if you're going to go out, it may as well. It may as well happen like that. Yeah, what a way to go. Yeah. Poor man. Out with a bang. <laughs> a whiz bang. <laughs> Terrible. I suppose, I suppose thinking about it biologically, it's a way to preserve diversity. Yeah. Genetic, because if they can only do it once and then they're done, they can't dominate the genetic line and it doesn't risk inbreeding and things like that. Yeah. It's extreme, but sure. <laughs> I mean, it's extreme version, <laughs> but you know, someone's got to do it. Um, <laughs> all right, I've got another thing to tell you about me. Okay. So, braggarts. Have you heard of braggarts? No, it sounds like an insult. I can't speak. It sounds like an insult. <laughs> well, it is. You know, it like, is. It, it is an insult. Braggart means, um, so it's like someone who's trying to one-upmanship, name-dropping. It's like, like bragging. Ah, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense, yeah? yeah. They're kind of like, oh, shut up, you douche, that's a braggart. Um, but it's also a drink. That is half mm -hmm. beer, half mead. So as opposed to like a full mead that's hopped, this is supposed mm -hmm. to be half and half. And again, there, I, like, I haven't found any specific rules on this, like whether you should, what stage of brewing or fermentation you should add either. But the consensus is essentially that it should be balanced between a, a, yeah. a, a taste of mead and beer. But again, um, it comes from... The Welsh. Bloody Welsh. Brag, brag means malt. Mm -hmm. And got means honeycomb. So malt honeycomb. Of course. I want to try it. Yeah, you. I mean, you could pretty much just but make them. Mix surely them I can't get that wrong. <laughs> just put some beer and some meat in got some pretty special talents. <laughs> 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 So um, I think I wanted to close up on, on me with like the research I've done is there is so much you could potentially talk about with it. Um, yeah. That I, that I ain't gonna. But I think what people probably should recognize about Mead is that it's so pervasive in fantasy literature, right? That, that we would know about in Western culture because fantasy literature is really based on like Norse mythology and old English mythology you know, all these sort of like Viking warrior, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter type stuff. And they're always drinking mead or some equivalent thereof. And mm -hmm. 
I think it gives this idea that like it belongs to that culture, but it's really just that those countries were too cold to grow grapes, right? So they didn't have grape wine. They didn't have that kind of wine to, to balance it out with everything else. And so that's all you see of them is, you know, mead and, and beer. But if you look, mead is in like every culture I looked up because mm-hmm. everyone, everyone kept bees, everyone cultivated bees or gathered honey. And it was just, you know, an easy way for them to ferment. I found uh, regional variations in Ethiopia, in the Philippines with the Mayans. Like it's a really pervasive global drink. And I think it's fascinating to look at what each culture does to their version of mead, but it definitely should try and shake off that old fantasy literature, Nordic. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I think potentially mead could make a massive comeback. I think people are already starting to get a bit fed up of gin. I still love a gin, but mm-hmm. I think it's a bit much now. I think, I think certainly what I've seen in cities, like, you know, like here that's supporting it, is I mean, it's always going to be a bit contentious figuring out what's good ecologically, right? But I know yeah. that in my time here, I've definitely seen a lot more bees around than I used to. And it feels mm-hmm. like there's a more concerted effort to look after them and make sure yeah. that the ecology is built in. And I've seen like new designs of hives whereby they don't damage the bees where they when they gather the honeys. It, it drips off the excess out of the bottom and they sort of drain it out. Rather yeah. than like when you mass produce honey, you're going to hurt a lot yeah. of bees. But when you have the small mm-hmm. independent producers, they really need to look after them because as you said, like the queens are really expensive. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I think it can be, I think it can be good for the ecology as long as we're kind of careful with how we balance the whole ecosystem of expanding something like this. Yeah, absolutely. And so on that note, our glasses have run dry, which means it's time to be or not to be. Oh, honey. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Everybody. Wherever I may roam, or land or sea or fall, you can always hear me singing this song. Show me the way to go home. Look at my groin. Look at my groin. <laughs>